Welcome to Velocity this morning. My name's Rob, and it is great to be celebrating Easter with you this morning, the resurrection, uh, which is great. I, I just want to point something out. I, I noticed that when we were watching that Easter fail uh, video, uh, Easter, elevator, it's not an elevator either. Chip, man, I knew I was going to do it. In our planning meetings the last several weeks, I've always been calling the escalator elevator. I don't know what it is, so I can't get past it, so just forgive me for that. The escalator fail video, I noticed a lot of you were laughing at people's misfortune. <laughs> What's up with that? I mean, uh, you guys feel even a little bit guilty of that? I, there's just something, there is something about watching other people fail. I mean, that, that kind of tickles our funny bones. It's, it's something that, that we enjoy doing. There are whole websites dedicated just to failures. You can get really specific, too. You can say, escalator fails. You could probably even find some elevator fails as well and just watch video after video of people messing up and just laugh to your heart's content. What is it about us that causes us to enjoy the misfortune of others? Now, I'm not, tr- I'm not trying to make you feel bad or anything. I think it's hilarious and I think it's fantastic. It's great to have that opportunity to, to do that. But did you know that there is a very specific word for that, that, that feeling? It's the word, it's a German word, schadenfreude. Now, I'm going to pronounce it in American, Schadenfreude. I, I like that a little bit better, Schadenfreude. You didn't know you were going to learn German this morning, did you? And Schadenfreude means the experience of pleasure, joy, or self-satisfaction that comes from learning of or witnessing the troubles, failures, or humiliation of another. It's a German compound word. They have great words, malicious joy. And I, you know, some of you are like, oh, I, man, it's not like that at all. I was talking about a kid la- to my kid last night, and he's talking about April Fool's jokes today. I don't know if you guys knew that that, that was going on today, too. And, and so he's talking about, hey, I want to get mom really good tomorrow. And he's telling me his ideas. And he, at one point, he gets behind a corner of the, the wall where the hallway is. He said, what I'd really like to do is get something slippery, and I'll hide behind the wall, and I'll toss that out as mom's walking. And she'll go, woo, you know, and fall down and stuff. And he's just busting the gut, laying down there, laughing, and thinks this is going to be the best thing in the world. So, honey, uh, watch your back. But you will never see the Schadenfreude more clearly than when you go to a youth sporting event. Never have I seen an event in which parents will cheer for other seven and eight and nine-year-olds to mess up. Have you experienced that with my son's playing baseball right now? And it is so funny to me how parents will be like under their breath. They're sitting there, you know, sitting on the bench with them on the bleachers. And, and there's a pot fly. And so the other team is going for it. And they're, they're you know, whispering on their breath, miss it, miss it, miss it, miss it, miss it. Yes, you know, gotcha. And I'm waiting for him to yell, ha, punk, you missed it. You know, that, that kind of thing. The poor kid is just, I don't want the ball to hit me in the face. You know, they've got 50 different people. Catch it, catch it, drop it, drop it. And it's hilarious to me how that how that happens. There's something we find funny and sometimes even relieving when we see someone else fail. In school, you remember how that was because being able to laugh at someone else who got tripped up or who forgot the right answer and said something silly or somebody else who was getting picked on, it made it feel better because we knew that we weren't the target in that moment. There's nothing that will sell more news and spark more gossip than someone else's failures and misfortunes, particularly celebrities and politicians. There's something that gives us a little bit of joy when we see other people being taken down a notch. And sometimes that brief enjoyment is a little celebration that an inequality maybe has been rectified. And sometimes it comes from simply having low self-esteem, if we're honest. But regardless of the motivation, it's also very telling of how we view failure 
as a society. We will readily celebrate success while rarely acknowledging that the path to success often begins with failure. Yet, these are our favorite stories. On the other side of failure, once success has taken place, the stories that are born out of adversity, those are the things that we're entertained by and that we really enjoy seeing somebody move through once they're on the other side. But that recognition can spark a slight shift in our thinking when it comes to failing that will produce a feeling of freedom from allowing ourselves to be defined by our failures and having low self-esteem because of our failures. For example, the next time you're inconvenienced by an out-of-order escalator, you can consider this shift in perspective. I like an escalator, man, because an escalator can never break. It can only become stairs. There would, there would never be an escalator temporarily out of order sign. Only an escalator temporarily stairs. <laughs> Sorry for the convenience. Sorry for the convenience. See, the next time you fail or mess up or something like that, just, just stop and say, sorry for the convenience. And then the person laughing at you will either get flustered or they're a Mitch Hedberg fan as well. And they're like, man, that Mitch guy, he's funny. That's what we do with things that have failed, isn't it? We put a sign up on it and say, this thing is broken, it's done, we've got to wait for something to happen, for somebody to come along and fix this. And that's why sometimes it's cathartic for someone else to be the failure for even a brief moment for us. But here's what I think most of us do and why we feel trapped in our failings. Most of us hide them. Most of us try to bury our failings. We try to keep them hidden from sight. We try to ignore them and sometimes don't even admit that they exist. And when that is the case, the only thing that we're left holding on to is brokenness. See, feeling free from failure comes from admitting you failed. One of the most convincing truths I have for you to, to illustrate this and to show why this is true in your life is WD-40. Really? I mean, no, no more reaction? Some of you know because you've used WD-40 and you know it's magic. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. But the other thing about WD-40 is I will refuse to use it until I know I have to. Like some of you know, are, are with me, you go to that rusted out bolt that's stuck or that screw, and I will try for two to five minutes multiple times to try to get it my, my, without having to go get the WD-40, just because I want to prove to myself that I can do this on my own. And yet, at some point, I have to admit, <laughs> I, I can't get it. I failed. And so I go get WD-40, and it's magic. You spray a little bit on that, you wait, and it just, it just happens. How do they do this? It's amazing. You know what WD-40 stands for? Water Displacement Formula 40. Do you know why they called it that? Because it wasn't until the 40th time that they tried the formula that they finally got it right. Oh, yeah, cool. That was exact re- I'm hoping that happens in second service too. Exact, exact reaction I'm going for. See, WD-40 doesn't care that in their very name they call attention to their failings because WD-40 is a success. They're on the other side of that. See, they found 39 ways how not to do it. So they've, they've achieved exactly what their goal is, and they came up with this amazing formula that people still use, and everybody has a can in in their household. And if you don't, if you've never tried it, go get some. It's amazing stuff. 
And while we're here to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, I know that not all of us feel free, fully free to do so because some of us are stuck in how we view ourselves in relation to the cross. Even the closest disciples of Jesus struggle with this as they began to experience what Jesus had already predicted for them when he was about to be betrayed. In Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 31, then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. That's what Jesus says early on when they're having supper together. Later that night, in the hour that Jesus was betrayed, in Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 55, in that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. And then all the disciples deserted him and fled. See, the disciples thought Jesus had failed in his mission. They deserted Jesus. They huddled together in a locked room after he was crucified, not understanding how everything had gone so wrong as they were following Jesus. Earlier that same night, as they're having dinner together, they are arguing among themselves who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom that Jesus, they hope and think, is going to usher in for the Israelite nation. That they would be able to sit at the right and left hand of God, of Jesus, as he's sitting on his throne as a conquering hero, ushering in a new government in his name. And yet that's not what happened. One of Peter, Peter, Jesus' closest friends, one of Jesus' closest friends, disavows himself from Jesus and cusses out a poor servant girl for suggesting that he spent time with Jesus. The man who earlier that evening, during dinner, before Jesus was arrested, had said, Jesus, no matter what, even if everybody else falls away, I will die for you. And of course, all the other disciples that were there with him, oh, us, us too. Yeah, we would too. We would die for you too, Jesus, right before disowning him. And wanting nothing to do with what he perceived to be a failure. The disciples of Jesus had given up on him. One betrayed him and then committed suicide. Eleven ran and hid for their lives. In that space between the cross and the empty tomb, they believed Jesus had failed. But then something happens. The disciples experience something. There's something that happened to them that they observed and that they experienced in their lives that still impacts us today and is the reason for why we still celebrate Easter and why the message of Jesus and the good news has continued to spread throughout the globe. Something changes their entire thinking and their demeanor towards the mission of Jesus and whether or not they perceived him to be a failure or a success. In John chapter 20, starting in verse 19, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, and this was after they'd seen the empty tomb and heard the testimony of the women, and Peter and John had run to the tomb to see that it was empty, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And I just want to say, and maybe this is a little bit of uh, Schadenfreude, but I think it's great how Jesus shows up to the disciples. They're huddling together in a locked room together, and Jesus shows up and says, peace. You know, I mean, it just, just flat out, I, I just can't imagine how scared to death they were 
in this moment before they started recognizing what was going on and they were overjoyed that Jesus was there. So I think, I think that's great. Jesus, you scared me half to death. Ah, resurrection. That's why they believed it, because they died and had to be raised right then. He shows them his body, and they were overjoyed. Success. Jesus is alive, and along with the recognition and the dawning of joy and putting together the things that Jesus has said right before them, there's another thing that happens in this space as they see the risen Christ, and they realize that Jesus wasn't the one who had failed. They were the ones who had failed. They were the ones who had failed them. That the cross was not about him, it was about them. And that's what it was necessary, because of their own failure to understand, their own failure to recognize who Jesus was and why they needed him to be there. But Jesus knew that this would be the case ahead of time, and still went to the cross. Listen to what Jesus says to Peter just before he predicts his betrayal in Luke chapter 22, verse 31 and 32. Simon, Simon, which, which, is, which is Peter, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew that Peter would fail ahead of time, and yet he also restores Peter in advance. He says, that, I, I know this is coming, and I already know this, and I'm still going to go to the cross for you. I know that you're going to fail me. I know you're not going to understand what's going on, and I'm still going to the cross for you regardless. And I'm still going to offer you forgiveness in advance, restoration in advance for your failings. And when you have finally understood this and when you've seen the resurrection, then you'll return, you'll repent, you'll turn back, and you'll be able to strengthen the faith of your brothers. See, Jesus gives permission to fail because the resurrection redeems. And it is to people who are willing to admit that they failed that he invites into this relationship with God. But there's also an enemy. There is Satan who doesn't hold a candle to God's power in this life. And yet here's what he does. When Jesus says he wants to sift you disciples like wheat, what he's saying is he, Satan wants to pick you apart. And he does this little by little. It comes along the lies that we've are fed. It comes along the lies that we buy into about our failings. There are lies that we tell ourselves about the finality of failure. There are lies that come along the labels that we allow other people to put on us and that we put on ourselves. The labels that we take on that keep us shackled to the debilitating label of failure when God chooses to label us as sons and daughters of his through Jesus. See, I've failed as a Christian. I've failed as a husband. I've failed as a father. I failed as a friend and as a son and as a neighbor. I failed as a pastor. I failed as a coach. I failed as an athlete. I've, I mean, I can, you get the picture. I can keep going, and so can you. By any and all accounts, regardless of the degree of my failings, I should be considered a failure. But I know that I'm not through Christ. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The disciples were so overjoyed to see Jesus as his teachings began to dawn on them in light of the resurrection because they didn't just need the words of Jesus. They didn't just need the healings of Jesus. They, just like you and I, needed our sin and our failures destroyed by Jesus at the cross. And what I would ask for you to consider is to give yourself permission to have failed. Give yourself permission to admit that. Feel free to fail so that you can feel free to be redeemed. 
I've failed. you failed. By all accounts, we should be considered failures, but Jesus took all of that on his shoulders at the cross and destroyed the consequences. He takes brokenness and exchanges it for wholeness. He takes the old and makes it new. He invites us into a life that cannot end in failure and changes our status and our label and says, sorry for the convenience. Jesus turns failure into victory. And there's a longing in each one of us to be whole. That's why we laugh nervously at other and their failures, because the attention is not on us. We want to be whole. That's why we love stories and struggles that lead to redemption. And just as the cross gives us space for disappointment, regret, and broken dreams, it also creates the opportunity for the stone to be rolled away and for light to break in to bring hope and faith and love. That your story and my life story can matter because one story does. And that's that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and that he rose again on the third day. The good news that Jesus is alive and has power of the greatest failures of humanity, our sin and our death. And the question is, what outcome are you going to say yes to? As a philosopher once said, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. And don't get me wrong, Michael Jordan, he's the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time, for sure, and I love basketball. But if he can recognize this truth in something as inconsequential as a sport, you know, what comes to, I mean, basketball's a big deal, don't get me wrong. But on a big-picture scale... This should inspire us even more so to want to succeed in the things that matter in this life. And the resurrected Christ doesn't just give us a positive outlook on life's ups and downs. It reveals what true life looks like. And so we choose like the disciples had the opportunity to between whether or not Jesus failed at the cross or whether we have. See, there are people among you today who have experienced the resurrection of Jesus because of the victory that in faith they have said yes to. No longer labeled or defined by defeat, no longer needing to compare themselves to others, freedom to have a different story for themselves, a story that God has written a new one for themselves, for their families, and for their neighbors, and for that same freedom and victory that is offered to us all. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and this is almost a parenthetical statement and a side that he makes as he's writing to the church at Corinth. But listen, listen to what he says. He says, But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen, the so be it, is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes us both of us and you Stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set us a seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. God's promises to us are affirmed by a risen Savior. May we say yes to those promises and write a different story, a better one, an eternal one, one that God himself guarantees for you and me. And I, I just want to say on a, on a personal level, if you're unsure what this next step and what it looks like to step away from your own failure and accept the victory of Jesus, I will, I will buy you coffee. 
We will sit and talk about it. If you're in a place where you're like, I'm not sure I buy any of this, and I don't even understand why you would believe in this and why you would talk about this each and every Sunday, I will buy you coffee, and I will answer whatever question you ask. Because that's what Jesus offers to us. He offers us an opportunity to choose a different life, a different story. He gives us permission, not rejection of all the things that, you know, a lot of times I think people think about Christianity as like, here are all the things I can't do and that kind of, no, no, no. This is about giving us permission, freedom to live a real, true, full life, not just here, but one that's eternal with God. And so I would love to share with you what that looks like. I would love to share with you why that's true in my life. And one of the things that we're going to be doing a little bit later, and maybe this is a step that you've been uh, thinking about in your life, but one of the things we're going to be doing in our second service is we've got this baptistry. Some of you don't know, that box is full of water. And it is heated. And, you know, the the heavens open uh, there. And the picture of that And the reason that's established in the Bible for us to take part in baptism is that all of those things that have held us back, all of those things that have shackled us, the brokenness, the disappointment, the broken dreams, all of those things are washed away by Christ. That when we've been baptized, we've been clothed with him, that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our failure, he doesn't see our sin anymore, but he sees Jesus. And that's the thing he guarantees for you and I when we put our faith in him. So we get to celebrate that in second service, but I do want to let you know, we do have some towels, and the water is warm, so we can take care of that, you know, after this service, too, if you want to. But here's, here's the thing. Every week at Velocity, every week at Velocity is Easter. And one of the reasons that we make that true is that every week at Velocity, we take communion together. See, Jesus, before he was betrayed, before he was crucified, before he rose again, he established this common meal that everybody is invited to. No matter who you are, no matter what has happened in your life, everybody is invited to the table. And one of the things that we do as we take communion together is we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. Like, what do you mean we proclaim the Lord's death? Well, his death for humanity and for our sin. And the fact that it represents that Jesus came back once, and he's coming back again. And so we're going to celebrate that this morning. We're going to celebrate that right now as we share in communion together. So let me have a word of prayer for us. And let me invite you into this same life that Jesus offers to all of us. God, I ask that... um, whatever obstacles that we have in our life that are keeping us held back from whatever next step in faith that you want us to take, that you would remove those. Um, Whether it's asking about what this all means, if it's being skeptical or not understanding why somebody would believe in this, if it's I haven't taken this next step in baptism, if it's I haven't taken this next step in just living out the Christian life and the way that Jesus has shown us how to do it, God, I would ask that you show this week, this morning, what that looks like by the people who are surrounding us and by the people who are in this room. God, I ask that you as help us as Christians to recognize the victory that we are already in, in this life. That once we have believed and trusted in you, once we have been faithful 
in our response to you in our lives that we experience victory now, that it's already guaranteed by the Holy Spirit inside of us. God, we thank you for that, and we praise you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.